Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. Thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech and for coming to our studio in Williamsburg. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy to be here as well. Thank you so much for yes, your time. Yes, I'm so happy that you're in this industry. I know you're you're new to the fintech space and we're going to get into all of that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Since you've been here and we've been you know, chatting before we hit record, uh, I've come to learn that you are from Mexico mm-hmm. and that has been a huge piece of your you know, influence into the fintech space. So let's start there. Talk to us a little bit about your background and where you come from. Yeah, so I was born in a city in northern Mexico called Chihuahua. Nothing to do with the dogs, I promise. (laughs) Uh, And the thing that brought me here was actually grad school. I thought initially that I was going to just come for a little bit. And I think how that connects to fintech is that one of the hardest things to do when you move to a new country is to really figure out how all of those things that are part of financial well-being and your personal stability work in a new country. I think one of the things that's very unsettling about that is that sometimes you don't even know how a lot of those systems work. And part of my journey, like I'm going to be very honest, I had an engineering degree coming here. Electronic engineering, people think that's like super complex. But (laughs) then when I had to face the whole situation of, okay, credit scores and like Mm. housing and all of the other milestones that come with that, it felt really overwhelming. And I think the part that was also very hard is that unlike a lot of people that grow up here, I didn't have anyone to ask these questions. And sometimes Mm. there's an expectation that because you're a certain age, you already Mm. have that context. So I think one of the things that to me is very exciting about working in FinTech is bringing this perspective of there's a lot of people that either because of their immigration background, their family history, or really a lot of females also in traditional family structures do not get even exposed to financial mm-hmm. matters because this is stuff for the men of the house. So I'm very excited about bringing that perspective that at any age, at any point in time in your life, you can, one, get competent on that, get excited about it, and take control of it. And I think a lot of that is really hinged on making a lot of these systems and processes more transparent mm-hmm. and trustworthy and approachable. So that's a long way of saying how all of this ties up. As I already mentioned, I started my career as an electronic engineer. Mm -hmm. I was a founder for a company as well that focused on marketplaces. And then during my, when I moved to the US, I started really solidifying this idea that I was really interested in complex problems that had Mm -hmm. broad impact. Mm-hmm. I think fintech really neatly falls into yeah. that space. But I started first, for example, at Dropbox, solving the problem of how do you share data mm. and information across different parties? How do they make that for different use cases? That was super exciting to me because I found building a platform incredibly satisfying. And I think that's also part of what I'm doing now at my current job at Argyle. Mm-hmm. But the shape that this has taken has also been informed by a lot of those personal experiences when I joined Dropbox, I had never gone through the experience of like trying to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Now I have done that. <laughs> and part of what Argyle is doing now is also creating this platform that has multiple 
use cases that one of them is actually the, the process of mortgage. And I'm very happy to be working on something that allows me to impact experiences that I've already had. Mm. That is so powerful in and of itself. And I think we don't always you know, think about that as humans in fintech, right? Sometimes we're in startup cultures and we're in these places that everything has to move so fast and we have to create and create, create and build solutions. But, you know, to truly think about the why behind why you're here, I think is just as important as, you know, wanting to build fast and break things. Let's not break anything, but that's just something people <laughs> say in startups anyways. But as you were sharing all of that, I couldn't help but wonder who did help you understand a bit more about finance and yeah and just yeah you get there a lot of that was wikipedia and me <laughs> wanting to, wikipedia yeah wikipedia <laughs> investorpedia just also and, another yo investopedia uh, an and i source. think one of the things that i realized through that journey is that while a lot of resources that were abstract existed or that where you ask a specific question of like what are bonds what are this mm -hmm. there were not a lot of products back then and this is, we're talking about 2013, that actually helped you navigate those questions in the specific case that you are facing. Like I have this financial goal, or I have this specific thing that I'm trying to accomplish, and I have specific questions. And I think that's one of the areas where I also think a lot about in FinTech, you're thinking about how do you build those systems that make asking those questions simpler, mm -hmm. but also how important it is to think about it is also there's a service layer component here mm. of how do you involve humans in a way that they're adding differentiated value to answer questions. Uh, because the reality of things is that financial decisions are very emotional. Sometimes it's not only that you want the facts, but you also want to feel yeah. that you're trusting the other party. Yeah. And that's a piece that no matter how great a product is, typically people respond better to having that part. So I think part of the challenge that we also have in this industry is how do we continue creating space for that differentiated value that humans add mm. in the experiences and we're delegating more of the things that are cookie cutter or repetitive to technology in a way that most of our time goes into really helping each other make better decisions or feel comfortable about how we're going about choices that we make in our life with our finances. Mm -hmm. And I think that trust factor is so important. So I, I was just looking at some data um, that you're making me think of, but it was some research was showing me that 37% of consumers are trusting fintech companies as their financial services providers and 30 compared to 33% of users of banks. So we're more trustworthy than banks by like, a very small percentage difference. And I'm trying to see the win of that and maybe the we need to try a lot harder mm -hmm. because, you know, fintech is really what draws me to the space is what you said is this ability to really humanize these products to build that trust. At the end of the day, there's no financial services is one of the least trusted industries, like right next to the government and then, yeah, and social media, like that cesspool of, you know, just of danger and so yeah. that's not great so we're like you know facing kind of this uphill battle with trust and so how do you establish trust with someone i mean you be a human yeah it's being a human and also i think there's a lot of work that we can do in some of the building blocks and i mm. think that's one of the reasons why i'm working at argyle for your audience i may not yes. have like all of the context that yes tell us about uh, what argyle. argyle does it's a platform that allows 
different industries. So for example, lenders, there has banking use cases that are gig use cases, there are mortgage use cases to access payroll and employment history and income verification mm -hmm. data. And when you think about why they're asking for that, it's typically in the process of ascertaining is this person worth underwriting for this debt? Is this person's employment history sufficient to pay them this amount of money in this new role that they're applying for, et cetera? And when you think about that fundamental transaction, mm -hmm. you have two parties that are mistrusting each other. And a lot of that mistrust is the, let's say you're the lender, you don't trust that the other person is going to yeah. give you the right data. And as a borrower, you don't trust that the bank is going to use that data to yeah. give you the best possible outcome. So what Argyle does, it's a platform that is end user credentialed. So you as a user, let's say, Nicole, you want to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. When you go apply with a bank that's already using Argyle, what would happen is that you would get an experience that will allow you to see and enter your credentials to get the income data from the employment records that you want to share with mm -hmm. them. And then they will get that data from the data source without having to mistrust that, well, Nicole's a really nice person and she would give us all their pay stubs. Mm -hmm. But what if we have another person that gets creative with right. ChatGPT <laughs> and or makes things up. and yeah. makes things up? Right. So when you think about that, like a lot of that transaction is can be a lot more transparent and trustworthy for both parts. If you actually look at it from the angle of, if you go to the source of data, mm that the person that is receiving the pay stubs already trusts, mm -hmm. you're cutting time off from their day from not having to like download everything. Right. You're also making it trustworthy by default. And I'm also giving the consumer visibility to when this data is being retrieved, giving, for example, the control of saying like, I don't want this person to access this data. Mm. I think a lot of experiences and a lot of the the numbers that mm -hmm. you're saying, people will feel a lot more comfortable right. and excited about this because at the end of the day, Money is basically the physical representation of how we've spent our time. Right. And that's the only thing. Yes. It's like a thing that's so valuable to people. And everyone wants to feel that they're doing it with purpose and that things are being done mm -hmm. in a way that is consistent with their values. Mm -hmm. so. Are you into behavioral finance at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm into behavioral <laughs> everything. That's I'm like I everything. Because well, what you're saying, right, is being able to, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I'm literally coming off the heels of, I just did a virtual event all about behavioral finance. So you're probably commuting here. You can you can tune in, but we're going to have to get you the, the replay. But it's everything you're saying is that, right, is being cognizant of the, you know, accounting for the messiness of the human experience at every level. I mean, it's wild when we don't think about, and I think it's because the financial services and fintech spaces are so obsessed with, you know, the numbers are so obsessed with, you know, qualitative data or quantitative data. They don't know how to like qualify empathy or emotions or how people's lives change and evolved. But that's the point of fintech. It's a point of having this advanced level of technology and data is being able to say, no, we can figure it out. And there isn't, you know, only three standardized measures or whatever that decide if a borrower is worthy of something. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of times I have, you know, a friend or something text me like, oh, I got rejected from this loan or like I wasn't good enough for this. And I'm just and you can there is like an emotion there of, okay, well, I'm not good enough. So let me just not do anything or they, you know, freeze. And so it's, mm -hmm. you know, to, and I think it's so important to work with the banks on providing that 
level of data so that, I mean, we could say fintech burn down the banks all we want, but that's, we can't do that. Yeah, no. And it's, I think it's the data and it's also thinking about a lot of those things at the moment, underwriting, for example, is using models that are primarily designed to provide capital Mm -hmm. to people that have, or like it's targeting a certain segment that has already a lot of Mm -hmm. access to financial products. And I think in the last 10 years, there's been, especially with the pandemic and with gig work, there's been this enormous transformation of the workforce Mm. and how people think about their income, the number of people doing freelance jobs or doing gig work to either provide them for their full income or supplement their existing one has grown. And I think financial institutions, banks have not really thought about how to incorporate some of those signals yet. Mm-hmm. And in a way it's creating this like chasm of like, this would be data that would be super valuable and other signals mm-hmm. that you could consider to this to offer products to folks that would one, find a lot of value in having them and two, could potentially be very good clients. But right now that that part of that, what are the other sources of data? What are the other signals that you can get that someone would be a good candidate for a financial product are not yet being thought of as, as of yet. So I think one of the things that I'm also thinking about in the context of mm-hmm. what we're doing at Argyle is what other signals that are trustworthy can we be bringing to the mm-hmm. fold? especially on the employment and income verification area. But when you think about the massive world of how decisions on financial systems get done, there's a lot of other data points that you can be looking at are not employment or income Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. could help you get a better perspective on whether a person is going to be able to repay a loan or whether there are other options that you can Mm -hmm. explore Mm -hmm. with them and also help them I think the other piece that there's a big opportunity for financial institutions is like, how do you partner at a more human scale Mm -hmm. with your, maybe they're not your client right now, but how are you helping them eventually become one? I think it's almost like a- Playing the long game a little bit, right? As opposed to wanting, I mean, that's like our universe, right? Our our world in any, whether you're in fintech or you're a bank or whatever capacity, you know, it's sometimes alarming to me that we're just still seeing so much of these like old world tactics or old school tactics of like wanting to kind of, gotcha people into something Mm -hmm. it's wild to me those people do not care about behavioral finance obviously right (laughs) like those products don't care about any of that they didn't think of it at all but you know to reduce a human experience to a couple of data points when it really is like you get a pretty blurry picture of what someone who someone is Mm -hmm. um when the reality is it's like i mean how many data points can one hu- like one human's experience? Uh, it's thousands and thousands of it, right? I mean, that's how do you think about just like incorporating those behavioral finance elements into Argyle's you know product in terms of like every step of the way? Now that I know you're for context for the listeners, you're only about a month in, right? So we're month still month and a half. Month yeah. and a half. Okay, yeah. so we're yeah. still fairly new. I mean, what is that like? How does kind of wanting to implement more of the things that you care about? This yeah. early on, how does that look like? Yeah, I mean, right now, I don't think it's in the immediate future for Argo, mm-hmm. but I can give you an example of something that's a little bit smaller scale, but it's the beginning of that, right? Like right now, we not only access payroll providers like your traditional ADP, Workday, et cetera, mm-hmm. we're also able to get information from 
gig platforms, which is like another form of income that typically is not there. Mm -hmm. So that's another signal that we're adding to that. I think if you were to do more of the behavioral piece, you would want to think about being able to retrieve data of, for example, how have they paid other loans across different banks. You'd be thinking about other aspects of maybe even how how they spend their money. I think how people spend their money is also mm-hmm. something that you typically see of more of a, what is the income? But I think mm-hmm. the spending part would be really interesting to also look at in a way that allows you to see a more a fuller financial picture. And I'm sure that that's something that is worth solving. I don't think it's in like the critical path for mm-hmm. IGAR right now, but it's something that I'm very curious to continue thinking also individually, because I think there's so much to to think about when you're thinking just about those models and about how people make decisions with their money. So mm-hmm. that's how we think about it. But it's such a complex thing. And this is a thing that's been very astounding to me about fintech. It's how you can go very deep in both like the data aspect mm-hmm. and the people aspect and the technology aspect on seemingly small transactions and the nuance um, and the thought that each one of those interactions yeah. need to include to be designed well, mm-hmm. to actually make it change. Because there's been companies that share data or sell data or whatever for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But like, are we really making a dent on this if we're not thinking about how all of the package looks together with the product, with the service, and also thinking about all of the players. Argyle, for example, doesn't get paid by the end user, but I think it's super important for us to be able to think about how the borrower experiences all of this process so that they return to a bank that is favoring the development mm-hmm. of new technology that makes the experience better. And we have this like virtuous cycle yes. of improvements and continuous partnering on making mm-hmm. all of this better as opposed to they're all different parties that are trying to have the minimum interaction with each other and mistrusting each I other. Mean, that's like how business and especially even ours has has worked for some time. You know, I'm still going to events and we have to talk through, you know, collaboration, not competition. We have to talk about partnerships. We have to talk about, you know, how does a fintech partner with a bank properly and it not feel like what you just said, you know, like, oh yeah, we're partners, but are we really frenemies? Are we really just like, you know, are we actually working together and, and creating more of these win-win, you know, and win, including the consumer, right, cycles. But I think that's why it's also so important for someone like yourself to be in these leadership positions, you know, to be leading product and in, in, in these fintech companies because you're coming in with this fresh perspective. I mean, I can't even tell you how many, you know, women will message me or DM me saying, you know, I, oh, I want to help. I want to be in the fintech space, but I don't have you know, this certain experience. I've never been in fintech. And I'm like, none of us have come on it. Like, not really. (laughs) And some of us have. But like, that's it's being open to coming in with this fresh perspective and saying, hey, like, I know that there's this playbook of how to do something in this industry. I don't really care. I want to create our own playbook. And this is how we're going to, you know, be profitable in our own right. We're going to do it by creating a virtuous cycle of helping people and being cognizant of, you know, maybe I am a B2B company, but I do need to be paying attention to what the end consumer wants and cares about because that's ultimately who I'm serving, basically, regardless of if you're immediately working with the the business first. But not not everyone thinks like this. I want to say like a very heavy plus one to how much women think that they need to know everything about something Mm -hmm. before deciding to dive into that or feeling that they can contribute on something. Right. I think that's something that 
it's taken me a while to get off my system because it's a thing that it's very normal that we're socialized for that. But oh my God, women out there, you do not need to know everything about a topic to have a productive opinion, to be able to make change. And all you need to do is really be curious, interested, and be able to approach it as a from a curiosity perspective. I think sometimes setting direction on something is not knowing all of the answers, but really mm-hmm. knowing how to ask the right questions. And I think someone that hasn't seen something before is able to more likely ask new questions that haven't mm-hmm. been asked. So the contributions that you can make to a space, even if you're not an expert, is great. I think as long as you have you're modulated to understand like this is not an area of expertise and I need help on this. Mm-hmm. You can be very successful, but I really want to underscore the the point that every single thing that I've personally done in my life, I've jumped between three different entities. I started in retail. I did file storage for a while that I knew nothing about. <laughs> then I did that for seven years and I moved to logistics, cross-border logistics, yeah. completely different. Oh my gosh. And now I am now in fintech. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell you is you can learn very quickly the basics of an industry, but the experience that you bring of being able to ask questions or mm-hmm. having experienced different things is incredibly valuable. And I, I encourage every person out there to really not set the bar of like, I need to know everything to apply for this job or to be valuable, but really think about what is a unique and differentiated experience that can contribute on a perspective mm-hmm. to make something better. I love this segue, actually. This is perfect for kind of our final segment here. You said something that has resonated with me at the top of that answer, um, which is it did take you some time, right, to get there. And I think that's something that I am always reminding my audience. And and it's also like it's a forever, it's forever work, right? I mean, we're having a great summer for the ladies right now between Barbie and Beyonce and Taylor Swift. But like... Mm -hmm. It, it's not always, you know, like this, right? And so, and and we're still also facing a lot of, you know, social issues and a lot of change that is both, well, there's a lot of bad out there, but there's some good. And point being, how have you navigated it? Like, how have you, you know, as someone in leadership roles, you said it took you a long time. How have you like gotten here? Yeah, I think the first piece that I want to say is a lot about that is to just, being able to understand who you are mm-hmm. and being comfortable being that person in every situation. And that sounds very reductionist and simple, <laughs> but let me explain. I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome when I moved to the U.S. Like, okay, is someone going to discover that I know nothing about this? This is the first time that I was working professionally in English. Mm-hmm. English is not my first language. What's going on? So, And that has happened every time I've changed industries. What I ended up discovering is that I didn't really need to find myself, but rather I think about myself as more as a puzzle. Mm-hmm. I've had all the pieces all the time. I just need to think about how all those fit together. Mm-hmm. And the process to figuring out how all of those fit together is really breaking down the big problem of who I am mm-hmm. and what are my values and what are the things that I believe in in smaller chunks that you can think about as mini experiments. And what this weird framing of thinking about myself gave me is the ability to think about a specific experience or in a, a specific way that I react to something as an experiment. And in that ma- like model, what you 
are doing is just like, I have this hypothesis about myself. Mm -hmm. How am I validating it? Yeah. It could be like through an experience. It could be through doing reading, mm -hmm. whatever. And then you start reconfirming your own values. And I think this also puts the question of what are things that you're doing because mm -hmm. you believe in? Mm -hmm. And what are things you're doing because you think that's the expectation or right. someone told you that that's what you needed to do. Yes. And like over time, as you start gaining confidence on those answers, mm -hmm. you're able to take on challenges, but in a way that feels that it has a purpose and that mm -hmm. purpose is aligned wh with who you are. So the it's sort of another positive feedback loop where the more you discover of this puzzle and the more you start seeing how all of the pieces of you fit together, mm -hmm. the more you can make better decisions that reconfirm who you are and the easier it gets for you to take challenges because you're taking a challenge knowing that is something you're choosing. I think mm -hmm. what's really hard in life is to take on challenges that are just thrown, thrown at you it, when yeah. you feel like things are happening to you. Mm -hmm. I imagine that, for example, starting this project for you <laughs> was something like that of like, oh man, there's so many things that I don't know that yeah. are difficult, that mm -hmm. are new, but because it's something that is connected to some of the like mm -hmm. dimensions that you can analyze as possible. I've thought about this way too much, by the way. <laughs> this is the best response, by the way, to this question. <laughs> yeah, great. Those things are connected to your energizers. Mm -hmm. And like as long as you're facing challenges that are yeah. connected to your energizers, the more this is going to propel you to continue facing them. Mm -hmm. And that the drainers are the other part of that. And then there's also thinking about what are things that you need for your steady state. So as you think about all wow. of your experiences and things you do, that puzzle becomes clearer with those energizers, drainers, and like steady state things. And then you feel more comfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. You're also able to differentiate what situations you're comfortable walking away from because they're not a fit for you. Mm -hmm. I think that there's also something really important about becoming comfortable with yourself. Of It's so important to learn that not every opportunity is going to be for you mm -hmm. and that things need to work for you so that you can do the best possible work. One of the things that, for example, I've realized is that being highly compensated is not at the top of the list for me in terms of what makes me tick. Mm -hmm. I would not trade a job that pays me 10x mm -hmm. if it didn't have the component or feeling that it has a connection to my values or a type of impact that I want to see in the mm -hmm. world. Not to say that yeah. I wouldn't appreciate a 10x like <laughs> a salary still a factor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think I ended up realizing that it was something and there's something like that for every one of us. The people that you work with mm -hmm. is also super important and how they share or not share the values. But all of those are questions that I think we often tend to brush off mm -hmm. or think like there's something wrong with us when we yeah. don't feel comfortable about a situation. Like, oh, I'm just a loser. Oh, oh I'm just like weak. I just need to yeah. power through this. And there will be situations that you will need to power through. Mm -hmm. But the power through needs to come from, I am convinced that this is something that I want to challenge myself on right. as opposed to I'm going to power through this because it's happening and that's it. Yeah, I mean, such a great, I love thinking of ourselves as a puzzle, right? And knowing that we are always, we are complete, right? And we just need to figure out how those pieces work together. And you explained it so amazing. You actually were making me think of two incredible women in the fintech space that I have been on the show and that I admire deeply. And you should totally listen to their episode and get to know them because you would love them. But one is Laura Hodgson, and she is the founder and CEO of a fintech company called Now, which helps with like uh, small business owners, owners manage their payments and, and their finances. And she spoke at one of my events and she was saying how like 
stop chasing the trophies that you don't even want to win, you know, and stop chasing things that you think it's the should, right? Like, should I be doing this? Should I embody a more masculine energy to get ahead? Maybe not, you know, <laughs> should I, you know, go chase that big job promotion because I think more money is going to make me happy. It's, question that, you know, and you're saying lead with curiosity. And then the other one is actually Lule de Messe, episode one, you know, she was the first episode on, on this show and one of my you know mentors and big inspirations. And she had said on the show that she is always wanting to be closest to the fire where she's going to learn, right? Like find where you're going to learn the most and it matter to you, mm-hmm. right? And that's where you can find your passions and the things that you're going to want to do in your career. Now, the last thing we have to talk about because we talked about it before the recording started is all of these puzzle pieces, right? When you find that confidence, you then get to present yourself Mm-hmm. We aren't walking away without talking about fashion here um, yeah. <laughs> and clothes. The last part of this, but you, it's then you present yourself a different way. I mean, there's a picture. I I guess I'm, my phone's being record, uh, used for this recording right now, but I have a picture that I really should put a side by side because it's like me early in my career where I am really trying to blend in. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like used to being I was a. You know, I'm a finance reporter. I'm in B2B media. I'm like the one of the only young you know, brown women in these spaces. And, you know, I had blonde hair and glass, big glasses to try to like make me look older. And I just wasn't me, you know, I'd, and I'd wear like very bulky, like weird suits. And, but it wasn't until I transitioned over to FinTech is Femme and building something of my own that I, you know, felt that, that confidence and also almost like a, a responsibility to present myself in my authentic way, because I know that opens the door to more women to doing the same. So Talk to us about your your style. Yeah, we're on <laughs> your style and, and just the way that you like to and why it is so important for women, honestly, and especially leaders in fintech and women in fintech in general to to come into these spaces, to go to that conference, you know, and, and show up as your authentic self. Yeah, I think it's super important because it's part of for a lot of people, the way that they dress or present themselves. And by the way, fashion is one of the expressions. Mm -hmm. There can be a bunch of other ways of thinking about this, but fashion is one that's very visible. Then I oftentimes see people thinking about, I need to present myself in this specific way to be taken seriously, or I need to blend in. But one of the things that's really important to think about there is one, when you're being authentic with yourself and you're bringing yourself to those situations, it's better for all of the conversations that you can have and you're able to more easily represent your point of view, more easily connect with other people that may have similar thoughts that mm-hmm. would not be open to sharing them there. The other thing that's super important also about how we present in public in terms of clothes is also blending in. It's actually a way of preventing from new circles to be created, right? right? Sometimes it's like a little weird thing to think about, but every new group of like-minded people starts with one. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that one, it doesn't take that much for more to come together. And a lot of people are just afraid of taking that first step. And I'm not saying that everyone should be the one that takes that first Mm -hmm. step because it's scary. But if more of us start feeling more comfortable, like, I'm not saying that tomorrow everyone should come like Lady Gaga to yeah. conferences. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we one could. day we could, we could, but <laughs> not the meat dress, but everything <laughs> maybe else, not probably. the meat dress. Yeah, that one's yes. Else. But I think it's super important that people feel that 
positions of leadership and competence are not connected to specific visual appearance. And that is just a choice that people make just as the car that they drive or where they live. And that we need to create like every industry, Mm. every industry should not be judging people based on that, but more on like their competency, their merit. And having that openness to those different ways of being is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, it's both very good for making people feel safe and mm-hmm. get more ideas, but also it's good for business. Yeah. When you open the door, you come out of a bank, mm-hmm. you see that the people you could potentially be serving are all dressed in different ways. Mm-hmm. They come from different backgrounds. Right. So what better way to really create experiences and products and services and businesses that are profitable than by actually bringing people that can represent and that can think about all of the challenges that the people out there are experiencing. So this feels more integrated. So I think that's also part of the responsibility that I personally Mm -hmm. feel. Like I have all of this experience. This is something that we need to figure out how to bring into the table, but it's critical to have that. And I encourage people to Maybe you won't feel bald enough to dress like Lady Gaga on your next like team meeting or Zoom call, (laughs) but take small steps. Like maybe wear like a little piece of jewelry or something that makes you feel Mm -hmm. like more like yourself. And over time, it gets easier and you end up feeling more like you're bringing your full self Mm -hmm. to work. Yeah, what really well said. And we're really lucky to have you in this industry. And Argyle is really lucky to have you and, and the way that you think. my One of my favorite examples of just like those small things that you can do is I've had like women come up to me at an event and be like, look at my blazer. Like I pulled out my blazer. <laughs> like you really encouraged me. You know, I pulled out my hot pink blazer or like I've had people come up to me and you know, even in this podcast studio and be like, I pierced my cartilage and I have it in. They're like, I took it out for, you know, Bloomberg, but I have it in for you. And I'm just like, yeah, hell yeah. Okay, baby steps. Like I I, I can appreciate that. But yeah, so my final question for you as we wrap up, if we need to be the change that we wish to see, what change in FinTech do you wish to see and how do you embody it? I want to be the change that brings like transparency and trust. I think those are two of my core personal values. And the way I want to approach that personally is twofold. Mm -hmm. One, through the work that I'm doing at my current company. And two, I think I want to, I'm still exploring how to do this, but mentorship and generally like education Mm -hmm. and access to information is something that I really care about and I've invested on in previous industries I've been in. So I really want to, I'm starting first, obviously with my direct team Mm -hmm. to find ways to use this platform that I have of being a leader and having this experience to help others grow and learn and satisfy their curiosity. So I think those are the ways that I think I can be most valuable to FinTech and for other people that are the Anaids of 20 years ago to Mm -hmm. see that they can, if they want to, do something like I've done or something different or whatever they want and help them see how to connect those dots. I mm-hmm. think those are things that I find really satisfying and valuable. Oh, yeah, well, Anid, we are so lucky to have you. I know I said it already, but damn, you know, not a lot of people in this industry are thinking like you and it's so important. And so I'm so glad that we're highlighting it and be sure to, you're going to, you want to start mentoring. Do you mentor people now? 
Oh yeah, I, I'm about to I actually, say you must. I'm like, cause yeah. I want to get in line. Can I get? No, no. Is there like a wait list? How do we? How do? How? I'm happy to. Like, I'll clear <laughs> my calendar. We can talk coffee. Say, everything. You're gonna get a long, a long list of mentorees after they listen to this episode, cause I know I'm in. But thank you, Anayid, again for joining me. Thank you for being on the show, and thank you for being a part of this industry. Thank you so much. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. 